I wanted to go a lot deeper into, you know, how is this impacting us as humans? And so I already had a little bit of background as with my human computer interaction degree. And I really wanted to see like, how does this impact our lives and our brains? And, and that was the study I sort of embarked on at Harvard. And what I walked away with is just a much deeper understanding of the role of digital woven in and out of built environments and our lives. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. All right, you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Raina Kumra. How you doing? Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. First, thanks for coming. So as I always have to start, I assume you were born in the delivery room, started coming up with five different business ideas, started executing and just getting everything all going, right? Just from the beginning. <laughs> totally. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe when I was yeah. 10 years old, I think I started around 10. <laughs> all right. So the 10-year-old mark. So let's start from before that. Let's start with where were you born? Uh, I grew up in, uh, well, I was born in Orange County, but I grew I grew up in the Bay Area, all over the Bay Area. Nice. And so early childhood, talk about like, what, were, what did your parents do? Like, how, what were you into as a young yeah. kid? All that so kind of I'm a daughter of a Intel engineer turned wireless entrepreneur. And my mother was a school teacher turned spiritual teacher. So we had a, a, a really great, fun childhood with a, a dad who liked to take apart computers and show us everything inside there. And then a mom who just liked to teach us all about our culture and religion and spirituality. Nice. And so from the beginning, like, what did you find yourself interested in as a young kid? Like, were you gravitating towards engineering or teaching or did you have your own desires? Did you want to be an astronaut? Like, yeah. yeah. It's funny, as an Indian kid, you're not really allowed to have your own desires. <laughs> like, in a way, you're just like, you're, you're a doctor. You're going to be a doctor and that's the answer that you always give. You know, you're trained from childhood. And I was interested in medicine, but I, I, fa I have big creative life and I was much more interested in music and the arts and film. And so I had, you know, I had to have that come to Jesus talk with my parents and tell them I was going to film school. And they both turned to me and they're like, that's fine. You know, you can go to medical school and film school at the same time if you want. <laughs> That's awesome. And so all through childhood, you just kind of like, did you assume you were going to be a doctor then up until you? Yeah, yeah, probably until I was like a young teenager. And I started to see that, I, you know, I had a penchant for music. And I was really, you know, I was, I was really good at uh, some things on creative. Um, I played guitar, I sang in a bunch of bands, I played bass, I, you know, I did, I did have this whole world of uh, like a decade of my life that was devoted to audio only. And then I switched to visual and then I switched to tech. Got it. That's awesome. And so you were mentioning like starting at 10, you was your really entrepreneurial journey. Like how did that begin? What got you? Into um, well, I was babysitting and I got my very first check for like, I don't know, 20 bucks or something, maybe 10 at that time. And I was so excited. And I had a bunch of other friends who had just started babysitting. And some of us were getting paid $12 an hour. And some of us were getting paid 10. And some were getting paid six. And so it was just like, hey, wait a minute, I think we should all be getting $12 an hour. So uh, we formed this sort of babysitters union where we would like a club and you know, parents would would book one of us. And if one of us wasn't available, the other would come 
come in and parents loved it and they were happy to pay our higher rate. <laughs> Did anyone circumvent you and go like, well, I'm going to go nah. offer 10? And- no, no, no. The benefits were too good for all of us. So <laughs> True unionization. Totally. So- and so then you, and you, as you said, you got in. So how long did you do that? The um, I don't know, a couple of years, like one or two yeah. years. And then, and then I got a job at a coffee shop, you know. <laughs> got to do the, the standard pass. So yes, yes. And it, this was a pre-Starbucks, you know, and I'm probably dating myself here. But before, right around the time that the first couple of Starbucks started landing, I knew how to actually make a proper latte and espresso Italian style and how to roast coffee beans. I knew how to do all of that. So <laughs> old world training. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. And so when did you pick up music and guitar? I had always played music um, as a child. So you, mostly traditional Indian music. And then I moved to guitar. I learned Spanish. You on guitar or what? What's that? Did I did. I did. I also played sitar. But guitar was just more culturally relevant as a, you know, preteen. So. That's awesome. And so... As you said, you sang and played in bands. Was this through middle school, high school? Was this this was or? yeah, this was high, mostly high school, and um, a little bit of like half of college was was music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you discovered film. It sounds like in high school. Yeah, I started making films really young, and um, and I just had a blast with it. And I loved the editing process. I loved all of that. And then, you know, it was no surprise that I, my first real job was a video editor. So what did you end up doing for school? Uh, so I did go to film school at BU and I'm with a minor in anthropology. And then I ended up making documentaries for a while. I was a video editor on Scientific American Frontiers with Alan Alda. Like I had a really great time on that job. And then I had kind of gone to shoot another documentary. It came back about six months later and all the equipment had gone online. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I just spent four years, you know, perfecting my craft and and becoming the greatest editor ever on this old software. And now everything's on online. Like, what is this internet thing? I got to go find out more about it. And then I enrolled at NYU's ITP, where I learned how to code and I learned how to use robotics and sensors. and, And that was just sort of the next chapter for me. And I'm curious that, you know, obviously with your parents' comment of you can also go to medical school, school and film yeah. school. How do they feel decided just to go to medical school? Uh, or just to film school. Um, they were, they were supportive. They came around, I think, you know, and they, and especially because my dad was really like, he understood the, the creative side was important as well in this developing world of different things being important than just being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Absolutely. And so, okay. So you go back and you, learn how to code mm-hmm. and, and I guess you're already at that point you had a couple jobs you're into your career mm-hmm. and you decided to go back to school cool like how was that decision how well um I had always wanted to move to New York and grad school was a really great way to do that NYU was a great community Tish was you know it was it was it was less of a leap than just moving to New York without school <laughs> so you used it as a bridge for that while also frankly getting an education yeah very valuable. Yes. Awesome. And so how long did you go back to school for? Was it a couple of years? That or? was a two-year program. And then I graduated right around 9-11. And I had great plans to be a video installation artist and sculptor and work with technology and sort of really in the art. Uh, but after 9-11, I really reconsidered it. I went back to storytelling and I ended up temping at an ad agency that was working on an Errol Morris documentary for Cantor Fitzgerald. And that was sort of my stepping stone into advertising. Got it. 
And so there, what happened there? So I'd never, ever planned to work in advertising. It just, you know, I had this bridge with the documentary. And, and then when I got in there, I was one of maybe two people who knew how to make a website. <laughs> it was the very early days of digital. And I just found the most creative most passionate people there. And I realized that I had, you know, maybe really written off advertising as a place for shallow people who only cared about making money and marketing and this and that. And so I was able to cast aside that judgment because of the quality of the people that I was working with. And we were all, we all had our creative side hustles and it was so fun. It was like a golden era in my career. And to be 20 in New York and, you know, in your 20s in New York in advertising when clients and budgets are flush when magazines have money you know there was so yep. much activity and then also to be one of the few people with a digital skill set was really great so I got hired pretty much right away and uh, negotiated a good salary a good starting salary because yep. I had I just had this new degree yeah got it that's amazing and so how long did you do that for so that was at BBH with Cindy Gallup, the helm, who I don't know if you know, but she is an absolute legend. And I was at BBH for about three and a half years. And then I decided to go back to grad school and this time at Harvard in the urban planning and architecture in the Harvard School of Design and really studying the impact of all the visual culture and all of the advertising and all of the work that I had sort of been doing and applying it into sort of architecture and the and the urban plan. And so what was your sort of vision of that? Like, what, where did that education come from? What did you want to do with that? Well, I was I wanted to go a lot deeper into you know, how is this impacting us as humans? And so I already had a little bit of background as with my human computer interaction degree. And I really wanted to see like, how does this impact our lives and our brains? And, and that was the study I sort of embarked on at Harvard. And what I walked away with is just a much deeper understanding of the role of digital woven in and out of built environments and our lives. And, and there was, I mean, it was by far the best educational year of my life. I got to take class with Rem Coolhouse of only, you know, we had to interview for only five of us got in and we got sent to Moscow to work on an installation for him and we designed it, executed it. I shot a documentary all in Russian with a translator, um, with brutalist architects who were all, you know, at the very end of their lives, some of them. And um, it was just phenomenal. And then I got to study under one of my most favorite people in the world, who's now a good friend, is Paola Antonelli, um, who's the design curator at the MoMA. So it was fantastic. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. And, you know, was there a career you were looking for after that? Or was like, this is I just want to study this and learn it. And I'll figure it out. Like, what, what was your um, I think there? it was it was almost like a, a mini sabbatical to sort of figure out like, yeah. okay, I'm not sure I want to delve into advertising for my entire life. Like, what else yeah. can I do with this skill set? How can I broaden this knowledge and apply it to something that benefits humanity. That was really the yeah. thought. So I, I don't, I don't think I had a, like, I'm going to graduate from Harvard and go and get this job type of thing. Yeah. But as soon as I came back to New York, I took a job at Wyden and Kennedy did running digital. Okay. So I didn't quite leave advertising, but I did come back with a much broader understanding of what I could do with it. And it helped my yeah. work immensely. Like I was no longer thinking in just the narrow website and, you know, online yeah. ads. This was like far more experiential. 
And so what would love to know, like, what did you work on? What kind of stuff did you do with that? Uh, so actually one of my first clients was one.org and we did a rebrand for them. And that was so, that was such a gift to work on. I'm still friends with um, a lot of the people who, who were there at that time. And I, I just, you know, I saw another way for advertising, communication, storytelling to be used to actually move the needle on something really critical and important for humanity. And then the other stuff I worked on was just so fun culturally, like Brand Jordan and Nike launches and winning the, winning the yep. Nike women's Canada pitches. And, you know, I just, I had a real passion and hunger for just how do we execute the most fun, most creative, most experiential uh, digital campaigns that we possibly can. Yep, makes sense. Yeah. And so, how long did you continue on that? Because again, as you said, you never thought. Yeah, you'd I know. Mark, neither. I know that <laughs> was so. That was um, three ish years as well. I mean, most you you know most people in advertising don't stick around for more than three or four years. Yep. And then yep. I moved to London to work at White in London for a while. It, I helped helped with a Nokia pitch, and um, that was that was great. That was a wonderful experience. And then I came back and I was like, okay, well, I got to figure out what I want to do. At the same time, I had a teaching gig at the University of Amsterdam studying, teaching kids and students, grad students and um, undergrad about experiential marketing. And that was wonderful, but it was only the spring semester. So I was just consulting. I had my agency. I was taking on projects. I, I had a pretty flexible, good, well-paid life. You know, it was it was, a, it was a sweet spot, but it wasn't really filling my soul. So. so so, what did you decide to just toss it at that point? Or like, what what was the decision? Um, I just realized I couldn't sell any more sneakers and I couldn't sell any more soda to people and I needed to do something just extreme. So I went, my mom was actually born in Africa and I went to Malawi where she was born, where we still had some connections and I started a solar training initiative. I had I did a Kickstarter, raised money for it, and I started this solar training initiative to basically teach curriculum of installation and maintenance and repair for solar panels. And what was so wonderful about that is that, you know, it, the community adopted it, but a larger nonprofit that had many schools was actually like, we actually could use this. And and the whole point of that was to stop people getting flown from California to go install solar panels. I'm like, it's just a circuit. Anyone can learn this. This is not hard. Like, let me show you how to do this. So I, I ran that nonprofit for about a year, just under a year, because we worked pretty fast. And then it got acquired. And then I took a job at the State Department. And so that was like the next pivot. So it took me getting to Africa to kind of boomerang back and figure out where I wanted to land. But it was a, a really yep. unique opportunity to do basically di diplomatic innovation, to bringing digital tools and thinking into diplomacy. How did that come up? Um, it came from meeting uh, this woman, Katie Stanton who is an amazing person. She used to be the CMO of Color and worked at Twitter and um, now runs Moxie Ventures. And so Katie was like, we need people like you. And so she, you know, a couple emails later, I was, uh, I had a job. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you end up working in the State Department in diplomacy. It, I just love this path. So how long, how was that? Um, it was wonderful. You know, it's one of those things where you can see the zero to 10 so easily of what your impact could be because it was uh, yeah. like we were still on like Windows, I don't know, 90 something, 85. I don't yeah. know. It was really, really archaic. And I just knew that there weren't a lot of people who were thinking 
about brand or thinking about different ways of reaching people and storytelling the way that I was and the skill set that I had after, you know, 15 years in advertising. And it was, it was so fun. Um, and we did a lot of things. We did these things called tech camps, which we brought a lot of U.S. based nonprofits that did a lot of great work in tech, like SMS software and things that will help grassroots orgs. And then we united them with grassroots orgs and had like this one or two day conference where everyone got to learn about the tools and workshops and, and then, you know, basically emboldening the grassroots orgs in, in other countries. Wow. That's amazing. And so. Got asked, so how long were you Okay, doing? so that was uh, two, a year and a half. And then I got tapped on the shoulder by Walter Isaacson and President Obama to go lead innovation at this thing called, oh, and Susan McHugh, of course, who was also at one, and to go lead innovation at the Broadcasting Board of Governors. So I co-led it with uh, this amazing colleague, Rob Bull. And he came from sort of public radio world. And I came from digital advertising. And the two of us together were able to take this dusty old radio and television agency that had five TV networks. So Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, Radio Sawa, etc. And we were able to just totally rejuvenate it with our office. And our office was responsible for everything. So we rebranded 72 mobile websites. I rebranded five um, radio and television uh, brand stations. And and then, you know, we served like so many millions of people weekly. And it was just a, such a great impactful thing. I brought in partnerships from Vice and other places. Like it was, um, it was a really great time. And within all of these, because you obviously, everything, it almost feels like a tour yeah. of duty or like a yeah, stint of these things. Like, was that always how you went? Yeah. And is that how you felt when you were going into it? Like, I'm going to do this for a while and then do the next thing. Like, was there ever a point where you're like, I want to do this the rest of my life? I don't think always- I'm ever going to be that person who's like, I want to do this for the yeah. rest of my life. I love and crave the variety. And I'm also, you know, I realize with the nonprofit, you know, I'm really the zero to one person, the zero to one or two person. And the yeah. three to 10 or three to a thousand is like so many other people can do that that are much better at that portion than me. Um, and, and I think with the government work, I've never planned to, you know, stay there and be a lifer. I was always only there because of President Obama and, you know, knowing that that was a very unique window to work in government and be an innovator. Yeah. And so how long? Uh, all in, I was probably government service, probably four years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was great. Um, and then I came back to New York and I worked on a couple of projects and then I moved back to California pretty suddenly in 2012 and, uh, and then, you know, have been back in, back in my home state since. Yeah. And did, where did you move to? What, what pulled you back? Well, to my dad died suddenly. And so just coming back to help my mom out and my sister. But at the same time, just a couple months prior, I had met this guy in a bar in Dublin, <laughs> Ireland, and we had started dating and he worked at Apple. And he just at the same time got transferred uh, to Cupertino to, you know, from London to Cupertino. So we were just both there. And I was like, okay, well, I guess this was meant to be. So we're in the Bay Area again, which I actually never wanted to move back to. And yeah, we did five years there. And then gratefully, thankfully, he got a job at HBO and is now at Netflix. But we were able to move down to LA and it made a lot of sense for our lives. And we actually like it like it here a lot better. Well, it's a pretty nice place to be, regardless of the media opinion. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I enjoy it. So 
the so you go back to the bay and helping your mom were you also working did you have some other yeah so i i was consulting with disney at that time which was great and then we got married uh what's up what, what kind of consulting like did i was do, i was i was leading digital on some of their csr work that the, okay. there was a program that we were standing up and for for kids and um STEM and and that that was awesome. I loved it, and I was actually getting to work with some former Obama folks on that as well. So everyone was very politically minded, and really concerned with like how do we make this the most impactful thing ever. And yeah, I I just I was there. I was trying to figure out what to do. I was pregnant. I was like, okay, let me see. And we had made an investment in a company called Maven, not Maven Health, not the one you're thinking of, another one. Um, and I ended up really loving what they were doing so much so that they invited me in as a co-founder. So I joined a startup. We raised 7.2 million. We had like 5 million users in India and we were an app engagement. Uh, ecosystem. So people would download their apps and use them and they would receive mobile data credits in exchange. So had this been on the blockchain, it would have been wildly, <laughs> wildly successful. And so that, and that was your first, I guess, you know, you've always done some form of startup, but really like tech this startup, was my was first, first official tech. tech startup. Yes. Yeah. And so how long did you so that out. was four years. Yeah, that was four years. And um, we had a real near miss acquisition with Google. Uh, we had an investor step yeah. in, kind of really mess up the deal. And so that was very unfortunate. Um, there are lessons you cannot learn in school. You can only learn from experience. So yeah. as a first time founder, it was really eye opening to see what happens if you have the wrong investor in your stead. Yep. I and an angel investor in a company that they got a massive offer, uh, but it just wasn't quite the return the most recent investor wanted. Yeah. It was a return, great yeah. return, but they wanted it to be a 10x or whatever it was, you know? And so they, they blocked the deal and that company ended mm -hmm. up bankrupt. Yeah, similar, similar story. <laughs> so we shut down and then I, was, I jumped to the other side of the table um, and became an investor in a media network. And I was looking after the technology ethics platform, standing it up, standing up this movement and also standing up the portfolio. And I did that for about two, two-ish, two and a half years. That was at a mid-year network. So impact investing. Yeah, nice. And how was that experience? That's it was good. It was, it was uh, worlds that I was very familiar with because it's very adjacent to government, civil society. And, you know, it was really nice to be able to take this challenge of like, how do we get Silicon Valley to think about ethics and the unintended consequences of their project on the world by getting them to think a little bit in advance and have these discussions and conversations. So it was really kicking off a movement around that and not fully just tech lash, which, you know, part that that was one of the outcomes, but really like, what can we do today? And then through that, I developed this framework called the ethical OS. And in it is like a bunch of scenarios and a bunch of checklists and things that are really helpful to people. And that is now a course on LinkedIn that anyone can take. And I think it's been taken now by 12,000 people. And then I also have the framework that's available for download that I think uh, by my count is over 100,000 downloads. And it's taught in course schools, universities, etc. all over. Yeah. 
Yeah. Amazing. And through all of these changes, like did this, this is what you wanted to do, right? Did it ever feel like, again, I, I not the whole rest of your life, but did you ever feel like I just want to stay put with something for a little while or did you always like? I think it was just like, I'm going to go in and find the place where I can make the biggest dent as fast as possible. Yep. And then I'm going yep. to leave that work to be continued by, by others. And that's like, re- I mean, even today, that ethical S was what, seven years ago, I feel like now it's still going like people are still writing to me and saying like thank you this has really impacted me or this has really changed my thinking and this has really helped my team have this discussion so I think it was just like switching over to doing it at at you know in a productized way which was way better (laughs) than me just consulting forever and ever (laughs) and so what what came next after two years there um, I think I, uh, well, we moved to LA and I started, you know, it just wasn't, yeah. um, it wasn't as, it was almost, yeah, it was almost three years. It wasn't as much fun, I think, to work remotely. And I had already kind of done the main thing that I'd wanted to. So I left and then I took a little time off and I, like everyone who moves to Santa Monica, got my yoga teacher training. I was, I was like, I'm totally going to be that person. And, uh, and that was part, partially just to kind of take a break, you know, like spend some time doing doing other things other other than sitting in front of a computer and really taking care of my body and my ligaments and all of that. I had had two kids, you know, I had basically taken no time off. I took no mat leave. I just worked the entire time on like either the startup or the consulting stuff. And so I really was, I didn't know what was going to happen. And then and then this sort of fund idea came up and I got kind of asked if I wanted to do it and I did. And we raised, uh, you know, we raised our fund before the half of it before the pandemic and then the other half after. And then we had the fund LA, which is a great, you know, the fund model is fantastic. You get 40 of like the best, brightest operators in your network, in your city. And then you all kind of diligence together and co-invest in deals, but mostly it's operated as a traditional fund where we have LPs and then we make the investment decisions. And we have now a portfolio of like 39 companies. I think we have one check left to deploy and then we're we're kind of done, but we'll continue, you know, working through SPVs and things like that. What are you thinking? So is this similar to another stint where you, you did this, you like that you got the 40 companies and now you're going to probably... Well, I'm never going to give up my check writing ability. I don't think there's enough women who are, you know, with my background, with my experiences, with my sort of the way I, my view on the world. And I think the companies that we've picked will know, we'll know more in about five to seven years if I was right or wrong. But I, yeah. I tended to focus on the healthcare companies. And I just, I, so did I did, I did. Exactly. Exactly. But, but yeah, I mean, long story short, I will always be writing checks and I will always want to be an investor. I just need to find the right home to do that and kind of do it in like a one yeah. day a week type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Got it. And so a couple more questions for you. Number one, on that note, what, what's next? And I always ask that. But oh, you, gosh. So funny. Um, well, you know, mid pandemic, uh, akin to becoming a doctor, but not quite becoming a doctor. I, my husband had knee surgery. And then the next day, my daughter broke her collarbone. And I had two patients in the house who could neither of whom could get out of bed. So it was all the meals, all the snacks, all the hydration. And I ended up basically founding Spicewell, you know, after healing them with lots of turmeric and lots of healthy food, and lots of nutrient dense foods. And I fell down this whole, you know, 
looking at nutrition in a way that I've never really noticed it before. And I studied misinformation. I worked on misinformation in the transition team for, for Biden-Harris as well. And, you know, I thought I just had never seen that the biggest form of nutrition, uh, the biggest form of misinformation that we have is actually on our food labels. And And then once you see just how bad the food is and how much it just throws you into the hands of big pharma and like how bad the cycle is and how much doctors get from big pharma. You just can't unsee it. And so that is why I started Spicewell, which is, you know, it's Ayurvedic salt and pepper, but I also added 10% of your daily vitamins from broccoli, kale, maitake mushrooms, because we are supposed to eat about 30 vegetables a day. We don't even get near that. So everyone's walking around with a nutrient deficiency. And I'm like, if we could just change one thing, we can just change our salt, which people use multiple times a day. I pull down the sodium, I pump up the nutrients and the vitamins. And, you know, and I added uh, turmeric to the pepper to reduce inflammation and add ashwagandha to the salt. And it's just like, we just can do so much better. And then if you use this kind of thing daily, we'll all be just that much better from this. So my new (laughs) focus and really where I will make my next big impact is in food and it is in nutrition. And I don't just see this as a CPG company at all. Like this is absolutely a movement. I've only ever built movements in my career. I can't help it. (laughs) No, and you've got the contacts now in the network probably to help with pushing it too. Obviously, your own experience as well. Well, that's great. So you already do. I have have my thing. thing. I'm (laughs) in it. We're, um, you know, 10 months in market. We just started fundraising. And it's um, it's been good. It's been really exciting to see the growth. We just got into all 28 doors of our favorite retailer. So that's coming up soon. Uh, announcements should be made soon. And yeah, it's happening. <laughs> so, and again, I always ask these two ask questions, but this question I'm going to pose a little differently because you've had, and I'm going to say it, a lot of courage. Like I think it takes a lot for someone to go, be in a place where you're making good money, you're good at something and go, eh, I'm going to go do the next thing. And you've done that many, many, many times. Yeah. And so most people find their niche where they make the money they want to make, they are good at it, they're, you know, and they stick with it. And so for someone else trying to figure out where they want to land, what they're trying to do, you know, pursue their dreams, what's like a piece of advice or something that drove you to that place that allowed you to feel that confidence to just keep doing exactly what you want to do? I think if you have the compulsion to, if you even have an inkling that you, your services, your role, like whatever you're doing, your impact can be better used in another place, you have to go and try. You have to see, you have to at least dip your toe in and I, I, I didn't just like jump to these things. I sort of followed my nose. I, you know, I, I saw like where the winds were blowing and I saw that there was, there was an opportunity there. And, and, and you do, you dip your toe in, you check it out. Maybe there's something there. Maybe you get that feeling that lights you up. And if you get that feeling that lights you up, I say you have to do it because there's no point in doing the thing that doesn't light you up anymore. <laughs> yeah, great advice. Well, Rhina, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, for thanks so much for having me, Eric. This was great. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.